Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, philanthropists who are committed to planetary purpose, or in other words, holistic visions for planet Earth. My name is Julian Guderlei, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Jackie Knechtel and Justin Fairman. Jackie is an executive coach and consultant, behavioral therapist, international speaker, and pioneer in the area of flow. She is the co-founder of the Flow Consciousness Institute, which holds cutting-edge trainings, retreats, leads workshops, and delivers transformational experiences worldwide. Justin is an international speaker, serial entrepreneur, and consciousness researcher, working to co-create large-scale shifts in human consciousness, integrating high-level institutional skills more deeply into the business world and everyday life, while delivering solutions-focused media to the global audience. The Flow Consciousness Institute is a research body dedicated to understanding the mechanics of consciousness, reality, human potential, and the relationship between both of them. Using deep insights or these insights to develop highly practical tools and trainings for the betterment of humanity and all sentient life. So with these words, I'm really excited to have both of you on the show. Welcome, Jackie and Justin. Thank you. Excited to be here. And yeah. thank you for saying my last name better than I can. <laughs> I was, I was, I realized that. Did I over-Germify that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect. Cool. Well, I'm excited to have both of you on here and, and dive deep into, you know, what you do, what you do with Flow Consciousness Institute, but also just what's emerging right now. It's the end of 2019 as we're speaking. Um, your, your story and your journey is quite out there a little bit. So let me just ask, a random question of the bat. If you too could change the education system at large, what would you do? <laughs> well, we'll just start, you know, dipping our toe in the pond. There. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, I think the first thing I would do personally is to definitely teach kids flow, but in particular, um, teach them, you know, uh, uh, emotional intelligence, right? You know, EQ. And, and not just like being able to relate with each other per se, in terms of emotional intelligence, not just being able to like, you know, understand and have empathy, although that's important, but really how to, how to like de, deprogram themselves, <laughs> you know, how to, how to deprogram trauma, how to really, um, you know, handle negative emotions so they don't just get stuffed down and repressed and, you know, end up, you know, creating all kinds of issues later on, but really how to work with them in real time so that they can, heal, integrate, learn from them, and really show up as, you know, human beings that, that are, are not burdened by all this baggage that most kids pick up during childhood. Yeah, I would also add just having um, trauma resiliency and um, just somatic awareness brought into curriculum and really give children uh, the possibility of integrating the heart and the mind because right now everything's kind of focused on the mind and not as much about embodiment so bringing that piece into it as well yeah that is really interesting how everything is focused on the mind right and, and like that works for a very small percentage of people that's excellent and then <laughs> the rest of, of people just have to kind of catch up um something that isn't really natural to them necessarily yeah yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Education, I mean, is like really a huge leverage point for, I, I think it's one of the key leverage points for really, you know, helping us to birth, uh, uh, you know, more harmonious, you know, using quotes here, but air quotes, but, you know, enlightened society or, you know, uh, more of like a golden age society because, you know, kids just get so indoctrinated into the current system in school on, on, on so many different levels. Like one of my first mentors used to say, if you didn't have, if you weren't traumatized when you went into high school in the U.S., you were when you came out, and you know it's just like it, it, it's really it's really quite intense, and you know that can be said about most schools in the world, and and you know we're we're really just like training people to emerge out into the world with like really outdated skills, a lot of trauma, a lot of things that that aren't really useful in creating you know harmony at scale. Yeah, and really working to support people to find and align with passion and purpose. And rather than just following a set curriculum and um, also getting more out into nature and not being just in this box with artificial lighting all day. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, I wanted to, like, as you said, like dip our toes in, in, in that deep topic right away because I feel personally that there doesn't necessarily even need to be a differentiation between education for the young and then just lifelong education for being a human right like it's it's 
setting ourselves up for success to continuously be able to deal with and adapt with what's going on in life. And clearly this, this time on the planet right now is like no time ever before. So we have to, right, from a climate angle, from a technology angle, from a cultural diversity angle. And so I just really, I'm battling with that inside of my, my, my own being sometimes. This entitlement that I feel like, oh man, I, boy, I sure wish the planet was different when I arrived in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. I, like, I kind of wish that the education systems already had all these things you guys wish there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but then I realized like, that entitlement doesn't really help me too, too much to, to be who I am right now. So I don't know, do you guys ever deal with that or has that come up for you on, on your journey? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think like like the the essence of the question is like you know do do maybe wish it was different (laughs) (laughs) yeah than than it was and and like on one level like yeah I mean I hold I I I think we hold the vision for a pretty um, you know a pretty evolved system from where we are now but at the same time like there I you know especially coming from a flow perspective there's like so much wisdom present even in the current system, not intentionally necessarily, but like, you know, there's something to be said about, about the sacred wounding that happens and, you know, in childhood these days and like how that helps us to actually like birth into change agents now, you know, if, if, if we, if it was perfect already, there would be less impetus to want to innovate there perhaps on some level. So yeah. I think this is an interesting, interesting way to look at it. And, and we keep seeing these youth activists like Greta and uh, just really stepping up and showing us what's possible. And I think, um, you know, we live in an amazing time with so much access to information and, you know, the internet allows for the, the widespread of, of all of this information and things that people didn't have access to before. So tools for awakening and, you know, to learn all of these things that we couldn't before. So I don't know that I would have went, wanted to be born any other time. <laughs> yeah. I love it. You guys are bringing it back to accepting what is that, that, that is obviously like key, key skill number one. Um, and it is that time, right? Where we need someone like Greta to stand up and be that face of like whatever revolutionary, evolutionary counterforce we require right now. So well, I think guys, yeah. No, please come in. Just, it's just a piece around um, how she's showing us. Is so often people think that as one person, I ca- I can't really make a change or I can't make an impact. So you know, I think she's a beautiful reminder that we are so powerful, and whatever we're passionate about, whatever we're inspired to do, like we can really make a huge impact in the world and so much of the complacency and uh kind of this existential angst is around the feeling that i can't really make a difference as one person and feeling like they don't know what to do like the the weight of these problems are too big uh so she really was a beautiful example of what's possible totally how does that work for the two of you? Like how, how do you choose optimism like every day, all day? Um, <laughs> well, uh, you know, the nature of reality is such that, you know, your personal emotional experience is going to follow what you believe. So when you choose pessimism, you're choosing suffering by default, like by extension. And so, just just on a like a radically selfish level i don't get to say that that often on a radically selfish level like what 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 you know stew do you want to be marinating in like for me like to be sitting in a pessimistic mindset is like a really like this uncomfortable emotional space and not because like i'm like doing shadow work but because i'm just choosing to interpret reality in a way that's just like making me upset and i did that i did that for like a good 15 years of my life oh wow I was, dude, I was upset and depressed and it was terrible. And then I woke up and realized that like, you know, my attitude was creating that reality. And by picking a different one, like all of a sudden, not only did I feel better, but I actually felt like empowered to do something about it instead of just like blaming other people and feeling like the solutions or the, the, the challenge was too great, you know? Yeah. And there's also, it, it's not just bypassing and not accepting that you know these things are going on in the world and that there are crises and um but just really 
holding on to the belief that we can come together and using that to motivate and inspire us rather than just feeling beat down by it. Yeah, I love that. Uh, using anything basically to flip perspective and, and motivate either yourself or each other, or actually like kind of instigate and empower collaboration, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, that, like, it really is just like a perspective shift at the end of the day. Like, you know, if you, if you look if, in terms of like the, I think the challenges that we're facing as a society, as a global culture, like if you really drill down and try and get to like, what is the essence of what needs to happen now? Like we need to have hope. We need to believe that it's possible to, to make the changes we need to do. And then we need to act from that place. And I, and, and then I would say I, w I we would stack on a fourth layer, which is, you know, letting intuition be the guide versus trying mm. to like project old ideas into new systems because that's, that just creates shaky systems. Right. So we want to really like ask ourselves like in, you know, in the vein of like Barbara Marks Hubbard's work, right? Like what is, what is the evolutionary edge here? Like what is wanting to emerge? Not just how we're going to recreate the old system. Like we are, like basically we need to not just strap solar panels on the old system. <laughs> yeah. Good one. Like we actually are being asked to like reboot the core of society here. And so to do that, we need to evolve into a new way of looking at the problems, a new way of thinking. Right. So I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. It's like if we're creating all these new systems from the same level of consciousness, we just get more of the same problems. So if it's rooted in old paradigms, scarcity, lack, fear, greed, power, all of these different old paradigm ways of being, then we're just gonna get more of the same. So there's an urgency and a necessity for kind of a rapid evolution of consciousness. And you know, for the people who are creating these new systems to really come from a more elevated perspective. I love where you guys are going with that. And like, yes, 100%, I like totally agree. And at the same time, I, I really enjoy kind of listening to people's sentiment of where that is happening in the now, because, you know, it, there's, there's one thing about creating like islands of sanity. Mm -hmm. You can test out new forms of flow, new forms of expanded consciousness, understanding that perspective change will like always be a tool we can leverage to reinvent, right? But then for me, often in my mind, I see this, um, this dichotomy between where that's part of the community kind of meets um, institutions or people or um, companies that are in power, right? So those who are currently still holding on as we're seeing it across the globe, they're holding on quite fiercely to the old mechanisms. And so uh, not that we need to solve it in this conversation alone, but like, how do you guys see kind of the incoming future timeline connect with, yeah, like a willingness or, or receptivity? Because just to frame the context here, like, climate change or what we're bulking under the topic of climate change. I mean, it seems to be the perfect topic to do so. And yet vast like amounts of the leadership around the world are not taking that, that chance. Yeah. 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 I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of kicking and screaming going on, <laughs> you know, like unwilling. It's like a, it's like a toddler, you know, getting dragged through the mall, you know, when they're, they haven't had their nap, you know, it's like, that's how a lot of the, the political, <laughs> Power structure is the metaphors are on point, man. I like it. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I think there's, a, I think there's like what, how I see it. There's like a couple ways that it's happening. I mean, I think that there, there are people who are having like you know moral crises that are waking up and like realizing that they, they are, that, you know, their, their conscience is essentially getting the better of them, despite like all of the old incentives trying to pull them away from doing the right thing. And then you have, then you have like you know, new paradigm leaders who like, for example, like, you know, it's, it's shown that, that a company that has like a happy workplace, the company is going to be 20% more profitable, right? Mm -hmm. Just like an avalanche of statistics coming out and things, you know, Google's, Google's championing, championing mindfulness and a lot of Silicon Valley is like realizing that, oh, wow, being mindful really helps. So it's like these, I think there's like these things that are happening that are starting to like wake people up and chip them off the old system because now there's some data here. So I think that a lot of people are getting kind of inducted into the new system. A lot of people are doing plant medicines and like having profound spiritual awakening and really like aggregating. So there's like, there's the, the, the new system is like, you know, people are going to Burning Man, right? You have like founders of Google and a lot of Silicon Valley going to Burning Man. So like the new system is kind of like 
clawing its way in like a, a vine of ivy. It's like working its way into the old system. And, uh, but the question is, you know, is that enough? Like, is, is that enough? Is that happening fast enough? And like, could, could we do more in, in my mind? Like, could we do more to really like, you know, take that pace up so that we get some rapid change instead of some like really incremental change? Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's really the question that's been on the forefront of, of my personal mind, like since such a while is like, can we do more or do we actually do need to do less? Just leverage maybe, um, you know, to actually connect with some of those people that seem to be really the floodgates or the, um, yeah, just almost like blocking that flow. Cause I mean, with you guys, I'm, I'm so excited about diving just into the topic of flow and the consciousness Institute. But then I, I see that in, in, in the real life or the reflection of our collective, it, it's playing out. There's flow, there's emergent fields, they're being created, they're kind of spiraling upward. And then they hit these like barriers and like unfortunately often like very old men who are like grasping onto power like a toddler. Who yeah. that, right? So, so yeah, I, <laughs> I don't really have an answer. That's, that's really just what, what, what I'm, I'm, I'm realizing there myself. I have all the trust and all the faith that the incoming timelines are strong enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, it's an interesting inquiry. I mean, like a flow perspective on it, like would be to like, we never, we always, like you said, like acting from a place of acceptance, like trust, trust and acceptance is the foundation, right? Like trust, faith and acceptance is the foundation, but that doesn't mean complacency. I think that's a lot of times like where it gets misinterpreted is like people go like, okay, we're, we're trusting, we're accepting our faith. So we can just like, you know, be at peace, but that doesn't mean that there still isn't an urgency on top of that necessarily. And, and so uh, like just to, to bring like, intuition back into the picture, it's like, okay, whatever you're feeling inspired to do is what's urgent for you. Right. Is what's, is that's, that's you carrying your piece of this new puzzle. And if you feel urgency in your inspiration, right. Coming from that place of acceptance, then there is urgency there. And so um, and we, and, and then we essentially could be moving faster. And I think too, like my, my, this is my personal perspective now. I think we, I think that we can move a lot faster. And I think that it, it doesn't have to be a fast coming from a place of like reactivity and denying, mm. you know, a reactivity and saying like, we better do this, you know, or we're, or we're screwed. It's more like, okay, you know, there's deep wisdom in what's happening. It's a catalyst for systems transformation and like, from that place, like, this is an opportunity for us to like, you know, do things innovative at scale here. Anything you want to add, Jackie? Yeah, I think um, th there is a way to expedite it. I'm not sure I know the answer to that either, but um, a more leveraged way. And, um, you know, we spend a lot of time with a lot of really powerful social impact entrepreneurs and people who are working on the solutions to a lot of these problems. So I think our hope is also really grounded in solutions. Um, so, you know, a lot of our advisors and, and friends are the people who are coming up with these strategies and things that we can enroll and get other people on board with. So I think um, by, you know, following excitement and intuition to the things that you feel called to do and taking that inspired action. There's so many solutions that are already present. Uh, but I think there's, you know, again, coming back to that piece where people feel like, well, I'm just one person, what can I do? So they don't really take that action, but seeking out the solutions that already exist um, and just getting involved, I think is, is super important. Yeah, beautiful. Participation, I think, is like number one in anything, right? Because if we're just standing on the, in the sidelines and commenting on what's going on, it doesn't really change anything. And thanks for going into this inquiry about something that, that is, has like kind of a, a stuck energy almost. But that's literally why I'm asking it, because I feel like often we don't like to go into those topics that there, there is an easy answer of like, just focus on what feels good, which on the individual cosmos certainly um, th that's how I govern my life. But then at the same time, um, I think there's quite, quite a bit of merit to, to go into the more challenging bits of our, of our shared realities. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and like, we haven't even really explored what following what feels good at scale feels is like, like, that's still actually a pretty courageous thing to do in this world. Most people don't do that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so 
like that alone, like people doing that alone at scale would shift the needle a lot, a, a lot more than it currently is being shifted. Yeah. And most people don't cause they're locked into the matrix way of being and uh, you know, following a, a career that there have some certainty and security around being able to pay the bills because the thing that they really want to do, they feel like they can't because you know, they're, they're not going to make it. Yeah. Um, so it's really breaking out of all of that fear and really aligning to the thing that you're passionate about and inspired by. Yeah. And, and I want to clarify too, that, you know, sometimes like the choice of words is important. Like, like I know what you mean by feels good, but some people be like, what? So I'm just going to go like drink brewskis on the beach all day, you know? And it's like, yeah. it's like, well, maybe at first, because you've been busting your ass at a corporation, corporate job that you hate so much and you need a little decompression time. But after that, in my experience or our experience is that what feels good when you're truly tuning into what feels good, not just what's hedonistic. Okay. Like that leads you to purpose. And once you, once you get activated in purpose, then you're, then you start to get activated in genius and, and impact. And like, that's what I, like, I think that's really what we need. And, um, you know, uh, this was a conversation that, that, that Barbara and I were having a lot towards the end of our life is like, we really need like a, a, a purpose revolution where people are like stepping into purpose. Like that's, that's, I think what we're being asked to do now. I love it. I love yeah. it. This is, this is literally why in that introduction, I use the word planetary purpose because I feel like purpose alone is also being like doctored around with quite a bit. Cause the purpose could be to make a million dollars or like to build another business. Right. But for me, there's not really like, um, a true essence to it. Or I think Charles Eisenstein, he used this word in, in, in a previous episode I recorded with him, authentic desire, right? Mm -hmm. There is desire, which isn't authentic. Like, right. Right. That's coming have on the beach. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's desire. Like, I don't know if you spend three hours in the forest, you most likely don't have the authentic desire to go shopping right now. Like <laughs> shopping for random stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're filled with essence and soul and maybe even purpose. Right. I love these reframing kind of um, exchanges, you know, when, when we're all upgrading our words or toolkits, because that's really, I feel like where a lot of collaboration happens is, is when we're not uh, kind of leaning against each other's perspectives on a very similar thing, but we're just realizing, okay, how can we upgrade a word like purpose until it is so clear that everyone, no matter where they were conditioned, even no matter where they're from, they'll just automatically be pulled in by the gravity of, let's say, planetary purpose. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, that this is really like, like if you, if you look, there's like three, there's like three whole systems change strategies embedded in what we do with flow. And one is purpose, like amplifying purpose at scale. Right. So we'll actually kind of have to talk about them in reverse order for it to really click into like the, the big picture. But like the first is like scaling healing, right? Scaling healing or scaling, scaling consciousness shift, right? Scaling, scaling deep consciousness shift. But that's really an extension of, of, of healing. Beyond that, it's really scaling intuition. And intuition always leads to purpose. Like intuition followed over time results in purpose, period. So, so purpose is like secondary to intuition in our eyes, but, but it, it, will, it will lead you there. And so those three things together, they embedded within them like, they, there's actually solutions to every single challenge that we're facing as a culture. And even we would even argue that, that these are like essential pieces of a stable, sustainable, you know, golden age Renaissance society that if we're, if we're not, if we don't have these things active, we're going to fall back into a lot of the same traps that we're currently in where. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, just speaking to the healing piece and a large part of flow consciousness is doing this inner work to, to reprogram all of this conditioning that we have and work through all of the traumas and things that are holding us back from living in alignment with our genius and, and following our inspiration and our purpose. And when we're really doing that work to heal at the deepest levels, at the mental, emotional, energetic, and physical level, we get to a place where we're just so naturally 
taking actions that are alignment with the greater good for ourselves, but also for the betterment of humanity and the planet. You know, it, it's not, it does, it's coming from the inside out rather than having to battle willpower or, you know, do things that, that feel difficult because you're just going to do these things from a place of self-love and, and really wanting to take care of others and the earth. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I, I feel like that's the place when, when we find that. And I guess everyone listening, no matter wh where, where we're at in our individual journey has had a glimpse of that, right? When we feel that powerful alignment, something's different. And, and things that might look difficult become almost simplistic, maybe not easy, but simple. I love how, how simple that formula is, right? Like healing, intuition and, and purpose is, is yeah, 100%. Like if those are not in place, we'll just always fall, fall back. So maybe you guys can share just quite a bit more about um, the Flow Consciousness Institute and the work you've already done because I feel like the interesting part about the work that you two do that there's a research body behind it that really um, allows us to bring this into like a new normal kind of territory. Yeah, 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 totally. Well, yeah, 100%. The, 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 um, the research is really important because, you know, some of these concepts are, are still kind of new or, you know, at the cutting edge. And so, and some of them can be hard to study too, um, you know, because they're operating on really large timescales or it requires a lot of like interdisciplinary research to kind of build, build the, the, the argument for why that this thing is superior. And so, um, so that's like a big part of what we're doing is trying to bridge the gap from these concepts being seen as like, kind of like, oh, cool. This is, this is great personal development philosophy, but we got real problems over here. And it's like, well, actually this is essential. And the part of the reason why you have the problems over here is because you're, you've been neglecting this and, and that's, you know, and so there's a lot that can be learned from that. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the work we do is is about like how do how do we increase efficiency with these things you know like healing for example that can take a lot of time energy and resources to do and it's something that typically has only been in the domain of people that like have the bandwidth and have you know have the bottom of maslow's hierarchy you know completed so that they have the time for self-actualization but like what we're trying to do is make it so that self-actualization is the foundation and then that informs everything else and trying to make that make it like simple easy fast you know efficient not complicated not reliant on you know phd trained psychotherapists that that you have to work with for 15 years so like how do we how do we like like really make this a tool of the times instead of just like something that people can only certain people have access to and what's the experience being like for you guys that you're on that journey for a few years now like um, clearly there's like an audience that, that eats all this up, right. Who's like so committed to the healing to like purpose and like, staying in this kind of cutting edge zone. Um, what are some of the adversities that you're facing with work like that? Can, can you say that again? Yeah. Like what are some of the adversities you're facing with that, with that work? Um, I don't know that we're really facing adversity other than, you know, we really want to get this out at a huge scale. And so we have a high demand from our students to have a, a training program where they can take the work into their communities and uh, work, you know, we've got students in 40 something countries and, you know, people message us all the time. They want to translate it into Hungarian or something. And so we're, uh, you know, the, the challenge is to really figure out a way that we can create an assessment tool around things like intuition that are somewhat difficult to measure. Uh, so that's been, uh, you know, one of, one of the challenges so far is to create this way that we can help scale this work, um, but in a, a way where we can accurately assess that someone is an embodiment of the work. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? Are we actually walking our walk? So, right, because anyone can regurgitate information, but it's really important for us to have people that are embodying the work, and it's more talking the walk than the other way around. Yeah, yeah, flow. The proof is in living it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you gotta, yeah. you gotta do it. But you know, that's uh, I mean, that's really anything, I suppose. But you know, a lot of a lot of different modalities, you can get you can get away with talking a good game. So, 
Yeah, it's funny how that how that's still a bridge that's just like so real, I guess, because it, it's just what we've been conditioned in getting being good at is finding a way to put on a certain mask that makes us look like we know what we're doing. But then when it comes down to how we're actually implementing things, um, proof is in the pudding, as you guys just said. I, I like that. So so how um, maybe let me ask you like a, another question there relating more to like a, a personal kind of experience around trust because we talked about trust a little bit and mm -hmm. we talked about trust also in the work you're doing just now so what is required for you both individually like to experience deep trust mm. yeah yeah so you know the, the recipe is a little bit different for everyone but there's definitely some key pieces that we've identified um for people to really trust uh whatever on, on any level um, but especially uh, life itself, which is really the elephant in the room in our experience. We trust that, that, that we live in a friendly universe, essentially. Um, they, they have to feel safe. Uh, that's a big part of it, right? They have to feel safe. They have to feel supported. Because without that, um, they, people just will go back into like, I got to protect me from hostile outside forces. So a big part of how we help people live in trust is to really go deep within their own minds and re and like examine those beliefs that are keeping them out of trust and shift those into a space where they are able to observe that they are being trusted and supported in life because you actually are. And there's a lot of like, there's a lot of science behind it. There's a lot of, you know, just kind of metaphysics behind it in terms of like how you perceive reality. But like, but basically like we, people need to understand that like life is conspiring in their favor at all times. It's a really, really important belief. And part of that happens when you take on the belief, <laughs> it, it creates a confirmation bias that actually creates the reality. It's kind of an interesting, interesting meta stack there. And, um, but also that it's just an inherent property of reality. Like I was, I was talking to someone yesterday about this very, this very thing. It's like, like reality has like a bias towards things living, surviving, and thriving. Driving. Like there's, there's an inherent bias in nature towards that. So like the challenge is not so much do we trust, it's like how much do we align ourselves with this, this natural flow? If we, the more we do that, like the more we're supported. It's, we actually only experience life not conspiring in our favor. That's actually an illusion, but we only experience it like the more we resist like the natural flow in life. Like if you go, if you go talk to these indigenous tribes, you're like, it's amazing. We have endless supply of food. We have endless supply of everything. You know, like we, we, they, they have almost no issues, but because they've decided to live in this deep state of flow and live in harmony with their environment. So I think that's a really, really big part of it is like this safety and understanding that we are supported. And then also like taking the actions through flow to actually live in alignment with that. Yeah, I think also, you know, uh, coming from a total former control freak, you know, noticing where I was kind of trying to micromanage everything in my life for that illusion of safety and security and really coming to the awareness and understanding that that is totally an illusion because we have no control over anything in life. We, we can't control the weather. We can't control, you know, life events we can't control other people and we like to think that we control ourselves but you know until we're free of all of the the programming that's subconsciously driving our behavior we can't even control ourselves so you know it's kind of futile to try to hold on to control or some semblance of control so that piece alone allowed me to kind of drop that and and go into surrender and doing the work to heal and and work through all of the reasons why I needed to feel that, you know, deeper sense of, of safety or security. Um, but also the piece that we talked about before around radical acceptance, because when we think things shouldn't be happening in our lives, so often they're happening for a greater reason than we may know at the time. And so having this radical acceptance around everything that's happening in our lives, even the difficult things, you know, like my, my brother died 10 years ago and, and at the time it was definitely the most difficult mm -hmm. traumatic tragedy, you know, tragedy that I'd ever experienced. And um, now I see it as one of the greatest gifts that I've ever been given because it was really a radical wake up call for me to really examine my life and see where I was out of alignment and really call me into more 
purpose. And so um, this radical acceptance piece is a big part of it as well. I love both of the answers. I feel like this is total gold. Um, what's coming up for me as you're sharing this is that, you know, so often in, in conversations like these, I feel like there is a clarity that contrast is always going to be part of a human life experience. But then, because we need contrast to kind of experience what we want instead, possibly, right? Um, but suffering is possibly optional. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, every human being on this planet has suffered so far, even the Buddhas, Jesus, you, you, no matter who, who you mention. But, but when you get that perspective you guys just shared, that you trust the cosmos at large, you trust life at large, suffering suddenly becomes an option. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Challenge, challenge is inevitable. Suffering and struggle, struggle and suffering are optional, right? Suffering only happens when you're in resistance, when you're trying to de deny what's happening or, or, you know, make, make a, a judgment call on it really. And this is like one of the pillars of Buddhist, you know, philosophy. This is not, this is not like, you know, uh, yeah, it's never, it's not like it's never been said before, but, but that's a huge piece that people miss. And it's just like embedded into our culture that we, we, you know, if something, if someone ends up in the hospital, it's always bad. And it's like, it may be. That's how we came together. Yeah. It may be uncomfortable. Oh, wow. Yeah. It may be uncomfortable. In a hospital? Sorry. I just, I just want to know about that. You, you met in a hospital? Well, <laughs> sort of. So, uh, yeah, actually four years ago today was the day that we met. Um, but we didn't really drop in then. And so shortly after that, I was driving up the coast of California and I was passing through Santa Barbara and I was like, hey, we should meet up and just kind of see where the overlap is in our teachings. And when I got to Santa Barbara, I was in a ton of pain and just had this mysterious abdominal pain that I couldn't figure out. And I ended up going to the emergency room and was hospitalized for five days. But as a result, Justin and his girlfriend just came by every day and there was just such resonance there that we knew we needed to work together. So really all of this came together as a result of me ending up in the hospital. So on the one level, you could look at it and say, this shouldn't be happening. Your life isn't working or, you know, on a grander scale on the meta level, it's like there was a, a divine orchestration there that really brought us together so we could have that time together. Yeah. And, and that, like that's a microcosm for everything. That's everything all the time. Like anything that's happening, that's that's what's going on. And people just people don't see it like that though. They 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 say like, okay, something's going wrong right now. It's bad. But it's it you know the it's the Sufi it's just the Sufi tale of you know uh, the the kid who goes off riding horses in the woods and breaks his leg and then he and then you know he makes his way back to town. All the villagers come to his father and go, oh what what bad luck has this misfortune that's befallen your son, you know, he broke his leg and we're so sorry. And the father goes, good luck, bad luck, who knows, you know? And then three days later, a war breaks out with a neighboring tribe and the same group comes by to the hut to, the, to, the hut to say, we need to recruit all the young able-bodied men to go fight in the war. And then everyone comes back to him and is like, well, you know, what a blessing. Your son broke his leg, you know, now he doesn't have to go fight in the war and, you know, half the kids are going to die in the battle. And it's like, what a blessing. And the father goes, good luck, bad luck, who knows? And, and this is, this is our lives like constantly, 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 constantly. And so it's like, if, if, if instead of looking at it as being bad and we're like, what is the silver lining? Like what's actually happening here? Like what, what, how is this conspiring in my favor to, to maybe redirect me away from something that was dangerous or to redirect me into a better position for my future, right? That's, that's the flow perspective to really see everything that's conspiring in your favor. And then when you do, when you, when you're in that mindset, trust becomes really easy. And it yeah. can sometimes be hard in the moment to see the silver lining, but it's that openness and the curiosity and the willingness to say, okay, you know, I don't know why this is happening, but you know, that openness as opposed to the resistance is a much healthier way of being and the resistance will show us the underlying beliefs and perceptions that are creating the struggle because you know so in the case of my brother's death um you know the the story that creates struggle and suffering is that he shouldn't have died he was too young um you know and parents shouldn't outlive their children all of these narratives 
that, you know, are just perceptions that are creating struggle because, you know, he was supposed to die then. And we know that because he did. But, you know, arguing with reality and saying that it shouldn't have happened is just going to create a lot of uh, stress and grief. Yeah, I, so curious where you guys just went with this because I feel like the word illusion came up a few times, right? And it, it's it's kind of obvious from this perspective in which we're sharing in this conversation right now that there's certain illusions that if you're trying to hold on to them, this trust into the universe at large or the cosmic principles of flow, it's, it's harder and gets harder basically every day because you're trying to hold the mask of uh, looking good or you stay in the illusion of creating a form of safety for your family. Maybe a follow-up question that that just popped into my head that because you mentioned the topic of death, Jackie, like you, you've, do you guys think that death and the narrative around death in our global society are, are one of the big factors um, of what holds us in this like ego-based illusion? I yeah, completely. Totally, totally. I mean, I think yeah. the the fact that death is so taboo and people don't want to talk about it, people don't want to face their mortality. And, you know, I, that for me, death was my greatest teacher and being able to look at my mortality and um, really kind of face that and, and be with it and sit with it and meditate on it was a huge part of my awakening. And I think that the more people are um, not willing to look at death or face it, think about it, the more they're not living because they're they're trying to control their lives so that way you know they're preventing death but when you really have an understanding of your uh multi-dimensional nature and you know kind of this awareness around the truth of who we are death isn't really something to fear and then you can actually live full out yeah I agree. And I, I find this so fascinating because what, what's been going on in my personal mind or consciousness for the last years is this obsession with the narratives we're holding. And then the narratives you're kind of alluding towards right now have so much to do with religious narrative, right? Of like this idea of what death is and what the, you said, if, when we truly know our multidimensionality. And so <laughs> we can truly know that through like Gnostic experience and possibly plant medicines or, or like a healthy elder culture. But at the end of the day, I feel that's one of the big kind of um, like, like foggy territories where I'm not sure if we can ever really. Yeah. Well, actually I, I, yeah. I generally, I like, I like 80% agree with you well, and I don't please. disagree. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't actually disagree with you at all, but I would, I, I would like to place another chess piece on the table. You know, I see, I see your I see your ten and I, I raise you twenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because actually, this is the and this is part of what we do with the research at the institute and, and our advisors and so on. Science is actually not not many people know this doesn't get so so talked about in you know materialist dominated press. And but science is making a ton of inroads into study our multidimensionality, and there's a huge, huge high quality archive of research showing that we. Like these aren't, this is no longer like spiritual speculation. This is actually like hard, cold science that we know that our consciousness survives after death. It's, it's been unequivocally shown uh, in, in a lot of medical research, in a lot of um, uh, parapsychology research, in a lot of different fields, neurobiology, even neuroscience to some extent. Like we're, there's so much evidence that our, that our consciousness actually exists after death. And people have actually done studies on people that have had near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences or actually died and like recorded what they were saying and were able to verify that later on and so on and so forth. And there's even a really great researcher, one of my favorites, his name is um, uh, Dr. Stevenson. He's, he's now deceased, but he spent 50 years studying the reincarnation phenomenon and actually documenting cases of, re of actual reincarnation across the planet. And so, um, there's a ton of research there. Dr. Stevenson, you said? Is, is yeah, yeah, Dr. Stevenson from University of Virginia. He was like, to look this up. Yeah, these guys are nothing to see. He was like the department chair for like 20 years. For like, he was either the Department of Medicine or Department of Psychology. I can't remember both. And yeah, he, you know, there's a really great book that one of our, our good friends wrote called uh, An End to Upside Down Thinking. 
by Dr. by Mark Gober. It's not a doctor, <laughs> but his name is Mark Gober. And it's really a great collection of all of this super high quality research into multidimensional phenomenon. And so for anybody that is like skeptical or just wants to have like a handy reference book to pull out at parties or on podcasts or whatever, like it's a great, you know, it's a great, great compendium of, of all of this. And, you know, so much of the work now is just taking this and putting it in the mainstream conversation. We, we go to a lot of events, like we were at, you know, science and non-duality conference, you know, for the last few years, a couple of times. And it's an interesting event because it attracts like really hardcore academics and rationalists and materialists and also like really you know like woke like spiritual scientists and and, and you know non-dual teachers and so it's like it's really interesting interface and i remember having conversations there with a lot of like you know the, the truth is in the math type researchers and i would you know i would present some of like their research and they would just literally they wouldn't even say like oh that's interesting wow i want to see that i want to go like explore their research they would be like oh they must have done the study wrong they must have like, you know, they, they just, they go right to like attacking the credibility of it's, anyone it's associated with that because their narrative is so strong that that's not true, that they can't even see, they don't even realize that they're in confirmation bias around it. And Mark speaks to yeah. that in the book as well. And that's like, yeah, that's the nature of where we're at as a culture in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. And then I feel like this is part of, um, you know, we being like a, a very intercultural uh, person myself and, and I'm, I'm con consistently confronted with that experience of just like, different cultural narratives, different religious narratives, and then different like, like microcosm narratives as well. So like, for me personally, there's no question about our multidimensionality in this reality, like no question. But right. then, at the same time, I, I feel like, I, at least I, I, I believe in the illusion that I, I have a form of a responsibility to walk that narrative on the edge or the line of where it, it might be tipping into more of a no new normal based on proof, based on science. So totally. That we can actually just eradicate the disbelief from before into a new normal. And so that's the territory that I personally find really fascinating is like, where can we, um, yeah, consistently, well, check our egos at, at the, the code check, right? And then from there, play and find out like, oh, wow, I, I used to believe that, but I, I don't hold pride to still have to believe this right now because look, there is, there's evidence or look, there is an experience base. And, Totally. Well, I also think, uh, you know, all of that aside, whatever happens after we die, it, it doesn't necessarily matter so much as the idea of just sitting with your mortality and knowing that our physical body is going to die at some point. We don't know when that is. So when my brother died, it was really a huge awakening for me to really live all of the things that I wanted to do and recognize where I was pushing them off to later in life, you know, when I had more time or I had more money or whatever it was, and how often we're waiting to live our lives, you know, you know, when this happens, then I'll do the thing that I want. And so, you know, just having the awareness that this meat suit that we're wearing is temporary, that you know, is, is a reason to live each day, you know, it's so cliche as if it's your last, because I mean, I, I've had so many friends pass away in recent years, just unexpectedly. And it's that reminder that our time is precious. And what are we, what are we doing with it? You know, how are you spending your time? Is it a reflection of your values and the impact that you want to make in the world? Or, you know, not that there's anything wrong with like binging Netflix, but you know, it, it's like, if you were going to die tomorrow, is that how you would spend your time? Yeah, there is no time, but, but no, right. I, I love that, that as an awakener, in our in our consciousness and sometimes maybe i would still choose binging netflix right if i'm like yeah. cuddling, cuddling yeah. the right person or like <laughs> having exactly. that kind of a feeling but but yeah no i i totally dig that i feel like it's it's vitally important and, and kind of gets people out of the zombie mode of just doing doing what they think they need to do right yeah yeah cultural hypnosis you know Exactly. Guys, I have two more questions. And one is, is about like the upcoming year of 2020 for the two of you personally, as well as for the Flow Consciousness Institute. Like what's coming up? What do people want to know about? Like what, what's something you'd love to like shout out and, and make sure people don't miss? Yeah, 2020. 
Wow, that's so far away. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually yeah, right it's around not, the corner. It's, it's like right here. From being like right here, right now, I take you to the future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 2019, 2019 was hands down, like it, it's a blink of an eye. I just like, yeah. don't even know what happened. It's already October. Um, but uh, yeah, what's up on 2020? I don't know. You want to take that one, Jackie? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm in the mystery very much so. Um, but we're uh, we're launching a new program, Flow for Founders. We've been working with a lot of CEOs and founders, uh, entrepreneurs, and in, in the social impact space, like we mentioned before. Um, so we're we're launching that. I've been inspired to. Uh, you know, very much on the, the wavelength of where we started. I, I used to work with children and it's so important to me to bring this work into that space. So I've been inspired to make a children's film and I've just been following the breadcrumbs and the, the thread for, for that. And actually um, it, it's going to take me to Brazil. So oh, wow. uh, that's cool. set. it's a very shamanic story. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, creating our train the trainer program and just sharing this work as much as we can around the world. Yeah, yeah. We we're also working on publishing some pioneering research into intuition and how it works on a lot of different levels, and um, you know, basically decoding the mechanics of it and, and the, to a greater depth than it's really ever been done before. Um, and showing and helping to people to understand how it can be applied in a lot of real world contexts to like, just, you know, for lack of a better term, give, give an unfair advantage. That's not, that's not what it's about, but like, you know, uh, to, to help people to see that this is really like the next evolutionary wave coming into humanity. We're moving out of the age of information and into the age of intuition because the age of information, things get so complex that you, you have to go into a quantum state of consciousness to be able to even integrate and work with it. So, um, so, or you have to basically just sacrifice everything to the robot overlords that are coming to take everything. <laughs> but I don't, I don't personally believe in that narrative. So, so. Well, the 2020s are supposedly going to like blow our minds with more technology integrations than ever before. So if we thought it was crazy up till now, like wait for the next decade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, 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 overlords. No, I don't believe in that either. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I'm just, <laughs> just joking. Just kidding. Um, so yeah, I believe that we are the quantum computers, actually. And then we just haven't learned to tap into that part of ourselves yet. I mean, we some people have and we, we do it without realizing it. But this is about making it conscious and intentional. And really unlocking without realizing it. I feel like that's the truth for so many things that we just normalize and in this like separated outside of us kind of way, like literally the cell phone that is outside of us. Mm. Yeah. But, but then it, it's, it's, it's totally us perceiving, creating and using and leveraging it anyway. So like, how could it not be part of our like innate ability? Yeah, totally. It's 100% part of an innate ability. And like, again, there's a ton of research showing that we have absolutely unbelievable quantum capacities, superhuman capacities. And so, you know, like flow is the domain. We, we really bring flow consciousness, although our work overlaps on flow states a bit. And then there's flow states on the other side that it starts to overlap on flow consciousness a bit. But like the whole flow pie is about superhuman capacity, really, at the end of the day. You know, everything is in service to us really unlocking our full potential. And so, um, and so, so yeah, so that, that's something that we're really championing. Yeah, intuition yeah. is really the most powerful technology out there. So, you know, we, we tend to think of AI, VR, and all of these little gadgety type things, but, you know, everything that we need is right here within us. Yeah, and, and as an extension of, of the Flow for Founders work, we've already started to do this, but we're, we're really getting deeper and deeper into it as, uh, as things go on, but working with companies that want to like really embed flow into the core of what they're doing, because it just, you know, just takes everything to, to the next level. And it, and it's really, you know, it's, it's exciting for us because, you know, these, these are the case studies that are, that are going to show, um, you know, just how powerful this is. And so people, that they're ready to to go down that path, you know? Yeah, and I, I think this is such an interesting notion that just comes up there is like companies that are ready or people at the workplace, right? Because like there's a part of me that's like, oh, everyone one day will be like artistic and express their like essence in an artistic way. But the reality is like hundreds of millions of people are in pretty well locked in workplaces and that doesn't need to be judged as good or bad in the first place. So that's where people are. And that's where people are ready 
to have more fun, to be more present, and will also be more efficient and productive, which is a side product of the flow or of the, the kind of the coherence and the collaboration that we can facilitate. So meeting people in the workplace, I feel like it's such a like, low-hanging fruit puzzle piece of the integration. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, yeah. you know, and this is where um, the piece around the, the rise of the machines and the, the robots that are going to be taking all of these jobs, I get excited about it because it's really an opportunity to shake things up and have people step more into their genius and, you know, search for those things that are in alignment with passion and purpose. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, you know, it, there'll always be jobs for people that are, that, whose purpose and passion it is to do those jobs. But at the same time, like, yeah, a lot of the jobs that are being done are, I like, I don't really see them being like the highest use of like this, this beautiful human capacity in mind that we have. It's like, you know, like I, in line with Jackie saying, like, I hope that this like like anything right like if it's happening trust the wisdom of life if there's for if there's ai that's being developed and really you know taking a lot of jobs like what is the silver lining here that maybe those jobs were really like soul-sucking jobs anyways not all of them but maybe a lot of them were and and now this is freeing us up to enter a renaissance of human creativity where we all get to play more and enjoy this beautiful planet we're on more instead of being locked behind desks you know slaving away for 45 hours a week Totally. So that's my last question. This is a perfect segue. Enjoy this beautiful planet more. Um, I feel like we've talked about vision so much already. So my last question actually is like, what are each of your three favorite places on this beautiful planet? Three, three favorite places on the planet? Yeah. Wow. Ooh. That's a really hard one. Okay. Yeah. Any, for the first one for me is anywhere there's an amazing hot springs. I love that place. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a total hot springs junkie, man. They're so amazing. So, so amazing. Okay, now you get now you take one. <laughs> well, I think one other thing. Wow, yeah. um, I've traveled so much, so it's really hard for me to choose. Um, Santa Barbara is, you know, the, one of the first places that lured me back into having a home after nomad life, and it's it's mm. got a really special energy. Um, I'd say maybe Iceland, just such an incredible, unique, natural the nature there I feel most connected to for some reason. Uh, one more, uh, I don't know. Oh, there's so many, so many to choose for so many different reasons. Yeah. I don't know. Everywhere. I'm going to just everywhere. Yeah. The whole planet. Yeah. The whole planet. I'm, I'm going straight like archetypal here. Like I'm not even going to answer a specific places, but so hot anywhere there's a hot springs. <laughs> I really actually love the desert. Like anywhere wow. on the planet that has like desert, it's just, it's the cleanest, purest, like most energetically pristine, like, and that could, that could also include like an Arctic desert too, right? Like, mm -hmm. like tundra, but really in particular, like anywhere that has desert, like I'm thinking of like Joshua tree and the Sahara and like other places I've been on that wavelength that are just like, you know, in the middle East. I mean, it's just like, there's such an interesting energy out there. So yeah, I really love the desert. And then, um, and then, yeah, just like jungle, like deep forest is really incredible too. You know, like really, really, really. Like, I love how between the two of you, yeah. you like cover the entire planet multiple times. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, I really <laughs> love anything? this earth. So yeah. if we can yeah, take exactly. care of it. Yeah, that'd be great. Let's take care of it. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Jackie, for, for being on Green Planet, Blue Planet. Yeah, yeah our pleasure, man. Thank Thanks you. so much for having us. And Yeah, this is great. Yeah, all the beautiful questions. that's that another episode of green planet blue planet podcast i hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights knowledge and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life into your relationships or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world because this is a movement and we're all part of it very much so and we're in this together we're here to create a world of a triple bottom line where you win i win and the entire planet wins we're raising consciousness together, and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. 
definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now, with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you and I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships because getting all of the juice, all of that life force that's in you out into the world is something you deserve and the entire world around us deserves. Also, I work with people who are entirely new to this, to the topic of planetary purpose or the topic of meditation, the topic of insight, evolution and revolution. And if that's you and you're ready to step out of the ordinary and into creation or if you know someone who is totally ready for that, Make sure to check out the website or share the website. And you can also always shoot me a message on Instagram. I'll definitely read it and get back to you. Because, like, th- guys, this is real life. Let's be in touch and let's create this together. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host, both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments, and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in, connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you and until soon. 